Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Now, the title of this series is Jesus Above All, and we have been seeing that articulated over and over again through the book of Colossians. And the title of today's message for this particular paragraph is Pure Jesus. Pure Jesus. No additives, nothing in addition, no contaminants, just pure Jesus. If you're new to this series, I want to bring you up to speed. Paul is the writer of this letter to a church in a city called Colossae in modern-day Turkey, Paul did not start this church. He did not bring the gospel to this church as he often did with other churches that were started in other cities, but he's heard about their faith. He's heard about their love. He's heard about their hope, and he's writing this letter to them. Now, many of the believers in this city were non-Jewish believers. They're not coming from a Jewish background, which means they're not coming from a monotheistic background where there is just one God. And so they're coming to faith in Christ, and we saw last week that in verse 14 and 15, specifically in verse 15, the lesser gods of these nations have been disarmed and put to open shame because of Christ triumphing over them through the cross and the resurrection. So now because these lesser gods have been disarmed, these new believers are coming to faith in Christ, but just because these other lesser gods have been disarmed and they have lost these believers to faith in Christ does not mean that they are not still going to try to contaminate their faith in Christ. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 16, and we're going to see Paul's admonition here. Follow along with me if you would, and I would encourage you, keep your Bibles open Uh, through our time together because we will be coming back to the text. Verse 16, therefore, that word, that transitional word is key, pointing back to verse 15 where Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Therefore, in light of what Christ has accomplished, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, capital H, that's Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to those things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So here's the big idea that sits over top of this text that we will unpack for the next several minutes. Christianity is pure Jesus. No contaminants, no additives, nothing, nothing else 
being thrown into the mix. Christianity is pure Jesus. Now, if you've lived in Arizona any length of time, you will know that our water quality is not the best. Uh, we have to pipe our water in from outside sources. We are a desert, and so we have to get it from other places, and so we pipe it in long distances. And so as that water is being piped in, oftentimes contaminants are getting mixed into the water, and then they have to put chlorine in the water just to get it to us, and then they put additional chlorine when it gets really hot uh, in the summer months to make sure that they can get it to us. And so a lot of times what's coming out of your tap is not that good. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you uh, that my water softener system had stopped working, and so I was in the market for a new water softener system, so I've got good news this morning. That has now been replaced, and so I am a sucker for saving money, especially if I can do something myself with the help of YouTube. So I went online, and I ordered a whole house water filtration system along with the water softener system, and I came home, and I installed it myself, and it was like 50% less than all of the contractors who wanted to come out and do it for me. Well, this particular water softener and whole house filtration system has four stages of filtration that remove all of the contaminants. It removes the chlorine, the chloramine, the organic contaminants, the pesticides, the herbicides, and then the hard water goes through a system of ion exchange so that the hard water turns into soft water and you get that nice slimy skin in the shower when you're done. So that now, when I open the tap at my house, pure water comes out. No contaminants. When you open the tap of Christianity, what is supposed to come out is pure Jesus. Nothing added Nothing contaminated, nothing else mixed in, just pure Jesus. Now, Satan's first tactic in the life of an individual is going to be to try to keep them from faith in Jesus. If he can't do that, his second tactic is going to try to contaminate their faith in Jesus, to try to add something to pure Jesus to dilute it. And the two contaminants that are creeping into Colossae are right here in this paragraph. And to summarize them, it's legalistic religion and experiential spirituality. And if you just kind of zoom out from those two, not a whole lot's changed between the church at Colossae and today. That there is a lot of religion and a lot of things being added that you need to do. But then there's also a lot of just experiential spirituality and that this heightened, manufactured experience is what you need to go through in order for you to have a true relationship with God. So not a whole lot's changed, but what Paul wants is for the church at Colossae to have a faith that is pure, free of contaminants, free of unwanted pollutants. And so the big idea is Christianity is pure Jesus. And what I believe the, the paragraph today is going to answer is the question, why? Why is Christianity pure Jesus? And Paul's going to give free, three really strong reasons why Christianity is pure Jesus. So if you're writing some things down, it's going to look like this. Christianity is pure Jesus because, number one, religious rules are a shadow of the substance. Religious rules are a shadow of the substance. Look again at verse 16. He says, therefore, let no one 
pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now this first verse here in verse 16 has a very Jewish flavoring and there is someone because he says let no one there is someone influencing these new non-Jewish Christian believers to add some of these Jewish teachings to their Christianity to add some of these religious rules to their faith in Jesus now if you're not familiar the law the Jewish law is think the Ten Commandments plus about 603 more There were 613 total laws that God gave to the Jewish people. Part of this law was dietary restrictions, like what they could eat. Part of this law was special days and festivals that they were to keep and observe. And then, of course, the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the final day of the week that was set aside, that God set aside as the celebration of the completion of creation. And it was to be a day of rest and a day of expressing trust in God, their creator. Now, God gave this law to the Jewish people as a part of the covenant with Moses, and it served a very specific purpose. It was meant to distinguish the Jewish people as the, as the people of God from all of the other nations that were being ruled by the lesser gods. It was to distinguish them and to mark them and for them to understand the character of God and the purpose of God in their life. And there were earthly blessings that would come as they would follow this Jewish law. But this law was never meant to be the Savior. There was no eternal life attached to the Mosaic law. There was no forgiveness of sin attached to this Mosaic law. Not in the eternal sense. And Paul would even say in Galatians 3.24, So then the law was our guardian, a schoolmaster, teaching us until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Because justification never came and doesn't ever come by works. It's always by faith. And so the law was not meant for justification. It was simply meant to be a schoolmaster. It was simply meant to be pointing to. It was the shadow pointing to the substance. Look at verse 17. These, referring back to these matters of the law are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, there are shadows that point to the substance. The Sabbath, as is mentioned here in this text, is a shadow that points to the substance. Even marriage, as God established it in Genesis chapter 2, is a shadow pointing to the substance of the relationship that God's people would have with him The temple was a shadow of the substance. The sacrifices that were brought yearly were a shadow of the substance. Even the offices of the prophet and the priest and even the kings, they were all shadows of the substance. These were the the partial, incomplete representations, but Jesus is the full and complete substance. So all of these things are pointing forward to Christ. But now Paul, who is after Christ, is saying, why are you adding shadow Why are you adding rules and rituals? You have the substance. You have Christ. Nothing needs to be added to Jesus. I wonder this morning, how many in the room are my straight black coffee drinkers? Where are you this morning? All right. I mean, just from the pot to the mug into your mouth. Like, that's you. You're the purist. You don't want any of that foo-foo stuff. 
Don't give me the creamers. Don't give me the sugars. Don't give me any pumpkin spice, anything. I don't care that it's October. Just give me a cup of coffee. You know what religion tries to do? It tries to add some of that foo-foo stuff to Jesus. Like really, like tomorrow morning, for those of us who do use creamer, as we put creamer in our coffee, I want you to be reminded, you are adding religion to Jesus. That's what you're doing. Nothing needs to be added to Christ. Now, as I, as I thought about this this past week, I don't know that we always do this intentionally. But for some reason, there is just this default human tendency to think that Jesus is not enough. And that somehow I've got to do something more. I've got to add something to him. I've got to prove something to him. I wonder, why are we so prone to adding religion to Jesus? Well, maybe you were raised in a type of performance Christianity. And again, I don't know that it was done intentionally. I don't know that this is what your parents or your upbringing meant to do to you, but, but you kind of grew up in this world of you need to memorize these verses and you need to know the books of the Bible and you've got you've to have these Sunday school pins and you've got you've to advance in the Sparky program of Awanas. And, and there's, there's all of this, like you've got to level up and level up and level up, and now here we are, we're adults, and we no longer have those incentives, but we still feel like we need to level up. And we still feel like it's all about our performance, as if Jesus is not enough, and somehow I need to go out and do something, and I need to give some more money, and I need to clean up my life a little bit more, and I need to share my faith three times a week, and I need to read my Bible and pray every day, and I'll grow, grow, grow. And, and that, that performance mentality sort of gets wired into you, and so now here you are as a grown adult trying to follow Jesus, and you still think it's all about your performance. When it's not, it's all about his performance. It's all about what he has accomplished for you and for me. Sometimes I think we're prone to add religion to Jesus because we're impatient with our spiritual growth. Jesus is content to walk with us three miles an hour, but we keep looking for the fast lane. We look at ourselves and we're like, I'm not where I want to be. And Jesus, whatever you're doing, it's not working fast enough. So what can I add to this to try to speed up this process of becoming more like you and ultimately, when you start adding some of those things because you're trying to speed up the process of growth, you actually work against yourself. But other times, I think we add religion to Jesus because we're living in constant fear that God's disappointed with us. And maybe that comes from a, a darker place of maybe a, a dad in your life that you never seem to be able to please. And so now you've imposed that on God. But for whatever reason, we just think about do more for God. He'll be more pleased with me. He'll be more happy with me. Maybe there'll be more blessing or maybe there'll be more favor. And so I don't know that we intentionally are trying to add religion to Jesus. But listen, folks, it's just Jesus. It's pure Jesus. Is there a place? Should we read our Bible? Should we pray? Yes, but not because we're trying to earn or grow or do something, get something from God. It's because we already have everything in Christ. And now we are responding to that relationship. And ultimately, what I'm afraid is happening is that we don't know how to rest in the finished work of Christ. We're looking for shadow to do what only substance can do. We're looking to the shadow of religion and rules when we have the substance, Jesus. And so Christianity is pure Jesus because religious rules, all they are is a shadow pointing to the better substance. Number two. 
Christianity is pure Jesus because sensational spirituality, and I put that in quotes, misses the mark. Sensational, experiential spirituality misses the mark. Look at verse 18 of our text. He continues writing to these early, these new Christians, and he says, let no one disqualify you. So in verse 16, there was somebody trying to judge them, and now there's somebody trying to disqualify them. Here's how. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. What they're trying to do is they're trying to, they're trying to treat Christianity and turn Christianity into a buffet of spiritual options. And so just kind of go down the list here. This, this influencer, whoever this one person, let no one, whoever this is, they are insisting on asceticism. That's, the word there is the idea of humility, but the context indicates a false humility, not a true humility. And then they're insisting on worship of angels. The word angel in the New Testament is, is neutral, meaning it can, mean, it can mean any member of the unseen realm, good or bad. And so there is this worshiping of these other of these other spiritual beings. And then it says this, this influencer is going on in detail about visions. These aren't the visions that God gives. These are, these are visions that this individual has produced and manufactured themselves. And then this person is puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. It's as if they're going down the cafeteria line with their tray and they're throwing a little bit of religion and they're throwing a little bit of spirituality and they're throwing a little bit of worship of angels and some visions and some experiences and they're putting that on the plate right next to Jesus. And what these influencers are saying is if you don't accept Jesus along with whatever else we throw on the plate, you're going to be disqualified. But the reality is they've disqualified themselves. They've missed the target. Christianity has one target. I want you to see it in verse 19. If verse 18 is everything that they're insisting on and everything that they are shooting and aiming for, verse 19 is what they are missing. It says, and not holding fast to the head. Colossians 1.18 tells us who the head of the church is. It's Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. In the 2004 Olympics, Matthew Emmons was one shot away from the gold medal in the sniper competition. As a matter of fact, he was so far ahead in that competition that all he had to do was hit the target anywhere on the target and he would get gold medal. So in his final shot, Matthew Emmons prepared himself. He paused his breath as he looked through his scope at the bullseye. He pulled on that trigger and he took his final shot and watched as it went right through the center of the bullseye. The only problem is he shot the wrong target. He failed to look at the lane number above the target and so instead of looking down his lane at the bullseye, he was one lane off and he hit the bullseye on the wrong target. You can have all of the right intentions being spiritual, but completely miss the target. Christianity has one target, folks. It's Jesus. Pure Jesus. The problem with spirituality in a generic sense is it's like shooting at a target blindfolded. 
You don't really even know what you're aiming at. You don't know what you're shooting for. You don't know who you're praying to. You don't know who or what you're even worshiping. And so religious and spiritual, these two contaminants at the church at Colossae that were, being, that were creeping in through these, influencer, these influencers, the religious and spiritual are like two ditches on either side of the road. I grew up going to church. I'd hear messages preached, and oftentimes as a kid, those messages were, were preached and geared at the religious crowd, those who were coming to church trying to do something, trying to earn something, trying to work their way to God. And so these messages would be preached, and they would say things like, there's nothing you can do to earn what Christ has already done for you. Your baptism, your confession, your prayers, you, you can't earn it. It's by grace that you are saved through faith. And those messages were right. But I think what's happened, my generation, I'm a millennial, my generation and down, has, has moved, has shifted from being religious to now being spiritual. And so there's this growing trend of SBNR, spiritual but not religious. But here's what I'm afraid has happened. They've just simply gone from one ditch on this side of the road to another ditch on that side of the road. Maybe in a response to, I don't want to be religious and I don't want to do all the traditional stuff and I don't want to try to work for it. I'm, I'm going to be open-minded. I'm going to be spiritual. But listen, it's, 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 just as, it's just as dangerous a pursuit. And really, being spiritual in this sense is like opening up a Pandora's box. So there's three considerations for those who want to be spiritual but not have Jesus that I want to offer to you this morning. The first consideration is that there are only two sides to the unseen realm. There is only good and evil, light and dark, Jesus and Satan. There are, there's no neutral ground. Amy and I were at a cafe this week and they were advertising an upcoming event where you could come and have your tarot card read. And somebody would read the tarot card and determine your future. Listen, that tarot card reader is not talking to Jesus. There's only two sides to the unseen realm. Please consider that if you are spiritual but not religious. The second consideration is this, that evil spirits don't always try to look evil. Well, this is innocent. Well, we're just having fun. Well, it's just a Ouija board on a Friday night at 11 p.m. with some friends. But understand that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And demons are charlatans. They're frauds. They're tricksters. They're chameleons. They know how to blend in. They know how to give to you what won't scare you. Give to you what you are looking for. But the, third, the third consideration, if you are spiritual but not wanting Jesus, is this, that Jesus claims all authority over the unseen realm. We saw this in chapter 1, verse 16. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So why worship other angels when you can worship the one who created the angels? So the word spiritual may seem like a good Christian type of a word to use, but if spiritual means anything other than pure Jesus, you are completely missing the target. Christianity is pure Jesus. It's pure Jesus because religious rules are just a shadow of the substance. It's pure Jesus because sensational spirituality misses the mark. And number three, Christianity is pure Jesus because mandated morality doesn't fix humanness. 
I want you to see it in verse 20, uh, verses 20 and following. He says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And then he lists some. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Then in verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But here's the conclusion. They are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. The humanness that you and I have, the propensity towards sin and towards wrong, sort of that default position that we, that we lean towards. Yes, even those of us who are followers of Jesus, we, we still wrestle with the flesh. We still wrestle with those tendencies. Man-made morality and mandated morality have no value in fighting against the indulgences of the flesh. Jesus is offering a new way to live, but they're being tempted not to take it. He says, in Christ you died to the elemental spirits. What's going on there? Joel unpacked this a little bit earlier in chapter 2 when he preached two weeks ago in verse 8. It refers to these elemental spirits. That word can mean several different things, but the context determines what it means. And in the context of Colossians and in chapter 2, we are, we are seeing that unseen realm unfold. And so these elemental spirits are referring to the lesser gods of the world that Christ put to open shame in verse 15. Those lesser gods of the world. He's saying, in Christ, you have died to those lesser gods. So why would you then submit yourself to the regulations of the world? If you are no longer under the authority of the world, why are you submitting yourself to the regulations of the world? These regulations like don't touch this and don't handle that and don't taste this. Ultimately, these are man-made mandates. He calls them human precepts and teachings. And they offer, they make big promises. In verse 23, they have the, uh, the appearance of wisdom, the, the promoting of self-made religion and asceticism. There's that humility again, the severity of the body, but conclusively they fail to deliver. These are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul ends the chapter and kind of leaves it with a bit of a cliffhanger. I want to know, okay, well, how do we stop the indulgence of the flesh? If, the, if mandated morality and the regulations of the world imposed on people is not going to stop people from doing wrong, what is the answer for our humanness? Well, I hope if you've been paying attention for this message, you already know the answer. Because it's found right in the big idea. The answer is pure Jesus. Not that we are trying to add some of this and a little bit of that and try a little bit of spirituality and let's just see if the regulations of the world can fix humanness. No, the answer is Jesus. Paul put it another way in Galatians 5, 16 when he said, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the works of the flesh. So the work of the Spirit in our life, first, we must be transformed by the Spirit. There must be a moment of transformation when by faith in the finished work of Christ, the Spirit of God takes up residence in us. This past week, a young man came to our service last Sunday, and this past week I was able to get with him for a cup of coffee at Starbucks right here on Southern and McClintock, and this young man was asking me some questions about what it means to give his whole life over to God, and sitting there in Starbucks, yes, over a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> that young man with other people drinking their other drinks, whatever they had in them, 
bowed his head and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And in that moment, it was, I loved it because I asked him to pray. And I love asking someone to pray who who's, hasn't prayed much before or who is putting faith in Christ for the first time. I said, well, I want you to pray first. And he just sort of sat there. He didn't really know what to say. And finally he says, Jesus, you are my Lord. And I'm like, that's good enough. Like, there it is. There has to be that moment of transformation when you say, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my King. You are my Savior. There is no other lesser God. There is no other lesser pursuit of this world. It is not by religion and works and even my own effort. It is because of your finished work on the cross. There has to be that moment of transformation in your life. Do you have that moment? Because it's only after that moment that now daily through the indwelling presence of the Spirit, can we continue to walk after the presence of God and have the power of God to continue to say no to the indulgences of the flesh. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. It continues as we walk and daily submit to that ongoing relationship with Jesus. So you might wonder, reading a verse like this, are, are boundaries ever helpful for a Christian? If this mandated morality, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, I mean, should a Christian ever have boundaries in their life? And the answer is, of course, yes. There are times when a Christian needs boundaries, but the boundaries are not the Savior. Boundaries are like guardrails. They're preventative, especially on some dangerous stretches of road, but they are not guaranteed. And so they help, but they do not ultimately save. An alcoholic may set up a boundary in his or her life to never even walk into a bar, not even to buy a Coca-Cola. Someone who's struggling with pornography may, may have accountability software on their phone, and that may be a boundary that they need to have. Somebody who's a workaholic may have the boundary that they're going to put their phone in the top desk drawer when they come home from work so that they can give all their attention to their family. That doesn't mean that everybody has to have every one of those boundaries. But for that individual, maybe there's a dangerous stretch of road that they're trying to navigate in their life. And so that boundary is helpful. But boundaries are only good so long as we are still dependent on pure Jesus. So long as he is ultimately our savior. Boundaries can't transform the flesh. They can only temporarily hold it back. So what is the answer to our humanness, to our propensity to want to indulge the desires of the flesh, the answer is a dynamic relationship with Christ. What does that look like? I wrote down three things that a dynamic relationship with Christ looks like. What does it mean to have pure Jesus in your life? Number one, it means, an abide, it means abiding in the presence of Jesus. Number two, it means practicing the patterns of Jesus. And number three, it means depending on the power of Jesus. Abiding in the presence of of Jesus, that ongoing relationship with him every single day, just that constant awareness that he's there. I remember a pastor one time was talking about what this meant for him, and he used this illustration. He said it's like calling up God on the phone in the morning and then shouldering the phone throughout the day as you go about what you Ringing him up on the phone in the morning and then shouldering him throughout the day. And I know for some of you, the idea of making a phone call gives you anxiety. So if you want to just start a text thread with Jesus, you can do that in the morning too. But just this idea of the constant awareness. There is nothing that I'm going to do today where Jesus is not with me. 
abiding in the presence of Jesus and then practicing the patterns of Jesus. Jesus offers to us an example. As we study and read the life of Jesus, understand that Jesus, yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And in his humanity, he laid aside the prerogative of his deity, of his godness, and he had to walk after the Spirit. So what are the patterns that we see in the life of Jesus? Well, the pattern of communing with the Father, the patterns of generosity, the patterns of solitude and prayer and fasting. And so we, what we do is we practice the patterns that we see in Jesus, even the pattern of community. Think about that. Jesus had a community. He wasn't doing life alone. We abide in the presence of Jesus. We practice the patterns of Jesus, and then we depend on the power of Jesus. This is what living life purely dependent on Christ looks like. We are dependent on his power. I can't fix my brokenness. The verse there at the end of chapter two is absolutely right, that these are of no value. Mandated morality, the regulations of the world are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I do not have the power to do it. But Christ in me gives me the power. Dependence on his strength, dependence on his power each and every day. This is what it means to live a life that's pure Jesus. So I've got to admit, I really like the water in our house right now. I love what's coming out the tap. You can even drink it right out of the tap. The contaminants are removed, all of the nasty stuff that's just sort of been picked up as it's been piped here from who knows where has been filtered out through that four stages, those four stages of filtration. And I wonder this morning, when you open the tap of your Christianity, what comes out? Is it anything other than pure Jesus? Are there any additives? Are there any contaminants? Is there anything polluting that relationship that is just Christ? Christianity is pure Jesus. Let's just keep it that simple. Let's not overcomplicate it. Let's not, let's not add anything else to it. Why is it pure Jesus? Well, religious rules are a shadow of the substance. Sensational spirituality misses the mark and mandated morality doesn't fix the problem of our humanness. So this morning, we don't just want to learn to learn. We want to learn to live. So let me give you two questions this morning that I trust will help us to learn to live and learn to make application from this text this morning. We want the Spirit of God to bring this text to bear on our lives. So my first question is this, what defines your spiritual journey? How would you define it? Or what would you define it as this morning? From our text, we see, we see three things that can define a spiritual journey. You can either say, I'm religious. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you grew up in a, in a denominational tradition, and this morning you are trusting that. You believe that because of all the things that you have done that are religious and all the works that you have committed, that somehow that is going to earn you favor and merit you the grace of God. Well, we've seen this morning that that's just a shadow. The substance is Christ. Maybe for you this morning, what defines your spiritual journey is spiritual but not religious. But again, I remind you, that's a Pandora's box. And what you're opening up in the unseen realm and what you are worshiping and what you are delving in is not Jesus. And it is dangerous. 
But I offer to you this morning that if you are either religious or spiritual and have not yet come to faith in Christ, then may I offer you the third option of what can define your spiritual journey today, and that is pure Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. He gave his life on the old rugged cross and shed his blood to cover my sin as the payment for for the debt that I owed so that now by faith in him, I can have the forgiveness of my sin and I can have an eternal relationship with God. Are you trusting in anything other than that? And if you are, friend, I would encourage you and invite you today. The invitation is open. Trust Jesus alone. And so if today you're ready, you're thinking, you know, I've been trusting something else. I've been doing a little bit of religion or I've been dabbling in a little bit of this or a little bit of that or maybe you've just even been trusting yourself but you've realized that today Christianity is pure Jesus. If today you're ready to trust Jesus, or maybe you're here this morning and you still have some questions about what that might mean or what that might look like, whoever you might be, wherever you might be on that journey, I would encourage you, if you have questions or if you're ready to trust Jesus today, when the service is over, I want to invite you to stop by the counter in the lobby, the Next Steps counter. And one of our leaders would love to talk with you a little bit more about what it means to trust pure Jesus alone. They've got a resource that they'd love to put into your hands that will help to answer questions and articulate what that relationship looks like. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. My second question, for those of us who have defined our spiritual journey by pure Jesus, my second question is this, where does your faith in Jesus need purification? Where have contaminants crept in? Where have pollutants crept in? Pure Jesus is about practicing the presence, following the patterns, and depending on the power. Come back to Christ. Return to Him. Jesus and Jesus alone. Can we pray together? Father, we thank You for Your Word and the relevance that it is for us today. Thank you that as we study a text that maybe at first glance seems a little heavy or a little thick or what's, what's going on in this passage, as we really dig into it, understand that there's a lot for us today. And the call is to come back to Christ and to Christ alone, Jesus above all. So Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today and they've been religious they haven't yet come to Christ, I pray that today they would trust you. If there's somebody in the room and maybe they've been spiritual and they've been open-minded, they've been dabbling in a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but they've not yet come to Christ, I pray that today they would turn away from all lesser spiritual beings and turn to Christ and to Christ alone. And then for all of us who are followers of you and who call ourselves Christians, may we not add anything to what has been freely and purely given to us in Christ. May we walk with you today and abide in your presence and may we take you this week into our week and may we, may we practice your patterns, may we depend on your power and may we live a life that is a reflection of someone who is truly trusting in Christ alone and not in ourselves. Do whatever work you need to do and be glorified, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. 
You can also find us on social media at CityPointAP. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.